what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast episode number 33. Thank you so much for joining us. Got a fantastic show to share with you tonight. We are going to be looking into one of the most important events in world history, and that is, of course, the killing of John F. Kennedy 60 years ago this month. We're going into November. The 60th anniversary is upon us. And, you know, this is one of the most important events, not just because it was the killing of a president in the U.S., if that is, in fact, what it was. And you're going to find out more about that in tonight's show as we analyze a film called JFKX, Solving the Crime of a Century, and I've actually got the producer on in part two to discuss that film. But what makes the assassination of John F. Kennedy so important is not necessarily what happened that day, it's what it did to the USA, because after that, everything got worse in America. It almost killed the hope of the USA, and I actually think that's what it was all about. Assassination actually was the first in a series of mega trauma-based mind control events that would be used to leverage the collective psychology of the masses and to take us to a much darker, much more satanic world. And of course, today we see the product of all of that. And I think this was the first major event in a whole string of them. So in part one, I'm actually going to be talking to my good friend, Moni. We're going to be discussing the film because we watched it together. We're going to be talking about all the ins and outs of the Kennedy story, which will take us into part two, where I'm actually going to be interviewing the director of the film, JFKX, which puts forward some shocking new evidence as to what might have happened that day. But I think you're really going to love this one, both part one and part two. Of course, members, please head over to parallelmike.com to listen to the full show. I'd love to hear your take on this one as well. I would absolutely love it if you listened to part one then watched the film and then came back for part two. I think that'd be a really cool way to do this one, but I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I really would advise you check this one out because JFK X Solving the Crime of the Century is a paradigm shifter. Whether you agree with it or not, it's certainly one to watch just to expand your horizons as to what might be going on here on this place we call Earth. So I'm going to leave it there for the introduction. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're all well healthy and reasonably happy and of course like always i will see you all in the next one hi everybody welcome to the parallel mic podcast we are here today with our guest money in the studio today we're going to be talking about a film that i'm going to be speaking to the author of later on in the show so in part one we're going to discuss the film what we thought of it and some topics around the JFK assassination. We are coming up to the anniversary of JFK's assassination, so it's a poignant time to be having this discussion. And I wanted to do this conversation before we get to actually speaking with the film's producer, just to go over some of the topics around the death, because I would say this is probably the most important event in American history in terms of 
what led us to where we are today because after the JFK assassination if that is in fact what it is which we'll speak about tonight but after that everything changed in America and it took us on a completely different path globally of course America was the hegemon but after that everything changed it kind of took away America's innocence a lot of people say that and I think it's true so before we get into that Moni welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast it's your first time on the show how are things going thank you everything's fine yeah, thanks for joining us. And we watched this film together. We've actually watched it twice now, haven't we? And I just wanted to get your first impressions of this film because the JFK assassination is something that I think lives in every culture. You was born in a different country to me, but I'm sure this was something that you was aware of. But just how significant of an event was it for you having not been a part of the Western culture? Well, Michael, you would be surprised, but actually it didn't have any impact on me at all. <laughs> I know it's a it's a big thing for, for I guess, the Western English-speaking countries. But of course, once I moved to England, I've learned a lot about it. And uh, it's it's something that I always wondered, especially knowing what Kennedy was doing towards the, let's call it the freedom movement. So watching that movie was quite a shocker to me, like what possibilities it could bring and what questions it brought to my head as we were watching it. Yeah, well, Kennedy was around during a very important time for your country too because it was the Cold War. And of course, your country was occupied by the Soviets and the Cold War was all about the Americans versus the Soviets. That's what the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba was all about. And that was when Kennedy, he agreed to the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba. It ultimately failed. That was a CIA-backed coup or an attempted coup that failed. And after that, Kennedy said, I'm going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces And that was really putting his stake in the ground that he wanted to end this emerging deep state that had really took hold in America. So I guess Kennedy's history is your history too in a very interesting way because were he to have remained as president, had he not been assassinated, I think perhaps Poland specifically and all of these Central and Eastern European countries would not have been under Soviet rule for as long as they were. I think something else would have happened. And I think that's actually what the CIA was trying to avoid, was having the Soviets and the US come together. They needed that antagonism to justify the continuation of the CIA. I think that's what it was about, actually. Well, and and certainly the uh, Soviet Union as such needed an enemy as well to justify its own um, existence, isn't it? If suddenly that scenario of um, Eastern enemy versus Western enemy, if that has collapsed, then they, they would lose their own power and then passport for, for violence. Their reason for existing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the thing was, they were actually coming closer together and both sides, Khrushchev wanted to find a solution. It seemed to me like they'd found two moderates. You know, and that all ended after Kennedy. It went back to this kind of dogged war type scenario. So I don't know. I don't know how it would have gone. We don't know what would have happened. We certainly don't know how things could have been in America. What we do know is that on that fateful day in November, and we're in November now, we're just a few weeks out from the anniversary of his, I say supposed death, because if you watch this documentary, we don't actually know what happened that day. And we'll get into that later on. But we don't know how it could have gone. Uh, and we're going to bring out some things in part one. I want to speak a little bit about executive order 11110. <laughs> Let me say that again. Executive order 11110, which was when Kennedy potentially was trying to take down the Fed. 
Now, we've already said Kennedy was trying to take down the CIA. He was trying to take down potentially the Fed. And I'm going to throw another one into it too, the mobsters, which we can talk about. I've got personal experience of mobsters in my family. So it's an interesting conversation. But before we get into all that, Mon, tell me what you thought of the film just in general. Was it a good film? Was it well-researched? Was it enlightening? Did it give you something to think about? What did you think of the quality of the film? Essentially, yeah, I was a bit sceptical, but I, I really liked it. I thought it was well-researched, well-put-together as well, and the storytelling was quite easy to follow as well. So thinking back about it, I think as well they, they found really good arguments for saying what they were about what happened on that day, and that convinced me, honestly. Yeah, I found it was very convincing too. What did you think about the use of that video footage, that Zeb Ruta video footage? Because... What we know about this video footage and listeners who haven't seen the film, essentially there was some footage from that day. It's the only footage that exists and this footage was spliced and it took somebody like Jay Widener to actually figure this out that there is some frames missing from the official footage. Now, for people like us, we watch these things and we have no idea what we're seeing. It's like, oh yeah, it's just a shot. But if you know film and if you know how films can be manipulated then you can see that there's a lot of red flags in this film. And I remember one specific moment where we was watching it and they pointed out that the perspectives as JFK was riding in that motorcade through Dealey Plaza, the perspectives of the people in the background and the foreground was all wrong, which showed us that some messing about, there would been some tampering. Now, I'd never seen that before and you hadn't either. And as soon as they saw it, it was both like, no way it was unbelievable to see and it really felt uneasy actually like all your life it's almost like all your life you've been looking at the same wall and all of a sudden you find out something about that wall that you've never seen before it just blows your mind how did I not see this before so what was your impressions on the actual footage that you were shown in that film well I I, I think it's clear it's um it's been all orchestrated to show what they wanted to show but they wanted to control the environment completely and therefore they needed to, or video basically, to um, hijack the uh, imagination of people. Because people, if they heard something happen but didn't see it, maybe they would raise some questions. But if they can see something, the masses would just follow, isn't it? They would just say, yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it happen, if, even if they've seen a tampered clip of a video that was um, falsified, I guess. Yeah, and... It's not the first time we've seen this. You know, this is, seems to be the pattern that's being followed every time is that they give us an event, they immediately seek to embed a narrative and then they give us some supposed evidence that we later find out was either tampered with, fabricated, invented. There's always something dodgy about it. And in this specific instance, we see a video of John F. Kennedy driving through Dealey Plaza. Now, just to rewind a little bit, he arrives in Dallas on Air Force One. He gets off the plane to thousands and thousands of fans. I mean, people don't understand just how loved the Kennedys were. JFK was so, he was handsome. He was charismatic. He was the film star. He was just like a film star. And this was a new era as well for America. They'd never had an era where you had these presidential candidates who were on TV. You know, people didn't have TVs before that. So all of a sudden, it was like the celebrity of presidency. You know, you saw him in his suit, he was fine, he could speak well, his speeches were perfectly written, and he could deliver them as well, he spoke so well. And then he had his beautiful wife, she looked like a supermodel. You know, when it, wherever they went, people crowded around them, they wanted to just be around them to feel that 
energy and persona. So when they got off Air Force One, it was filled with people screaming, fans wanting to just see him, to be in his presence. When they got to downtown Dallas, the same thing. Downtown Dallas filled with people screaming. Now, interestingly, there was no news agencies. There was news agencies based in Dallas, and not one of them decided to film the most important day in their city's history, <laughs> just didn't happen to film it. Decided, no, I'm going to go film, I don't know, the uh, local boating race or something on the lake. Not bothered about the president at all. The most famous man on planet Earth at that time. A little bit suspicious. But what's even more suspicious, and what I wanted to get to, is when they got to the Dealey Plaza bit where the assassination actually supposedly took place, all of a sudden those thousands and thousands of people are not there. There's about maybe a hundred people like this you can see in the background there's a couple of people on the grass here a couple over there people kind of having a little picnic but you know what i mean it's a completely different scene to every single other part of that day where it's crowded with people so again it's not something that we from this perspective look back on as suspicious until somebody says just look at it just look at it again look at what happened before it and then all of a sudden it hits you and you're like oh yeah this is not normal this isn't right yeah, and uh, on the top of it, apart from them being a little bit um, big, <laughs> yeah, they they are absolutely large compared to the the first line of of um, of people, which is the car with with the Kennedy and and his wife itself. But apart from that, what struck me as well was that they didn't really look like they seemed to be occupied with their own lives, as if like actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or people who didn't didn't wait for hours and hours to wait for president to see him pass for five seconds, you know. <laughs> well, that actually takes us to another very important bit about what those people didn't do. First and foremost, you're right, they didn't get all excited, screaming, oh my God, we are a meter away from the most important person on planet Earth, the president of the USA. They also didn't respond when those gunshots were fired. Now, you know, we've had gunshots. We live in a hunting region. If you hear a gunshot four or five miles away, it startles you. Like, you're like, wow, that was loud. It echoes, it booms. Now, if somebody was shooting at the president and we were told in the Warren Commission, which came out after President Kennedy's death, this was the supposed commission to tell us the truth, similar to the 9-11 commission, and we were told there was three shots. Now, in the film, apparently there was three shots, but nobody responds to a single one of them. So, what did you make of that one, Mon? Very bizarre. I, I guess. I guess when you when you watch the the, the film itself, you, you realize that uh, okay, that's all fabricated, so it doesn't surprise you anymore. You just look for more clues. What's wrong with that video? <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot wrong with it. But you know, we can talk about it all day. There's so many conspiracies about Kennedy. We know that he came from a very prominent family. His dad, Joseph Kennedy, was definitely involved with the mob. He was running liquor from Canada, I think, during Prohibition. He earned millions off that. So he was definitely in league with the mob. And as we're going to find out later when we speak to Ryder, who produced this film, he's going to tell us more about that specifically. But there was also other elements with the Kennedys and the mob. I think the Kennedy brothers had been involved with the mob. I, I know they was involved in Hollywood, which was heavily run by the mob. He was involved with Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack. He certainly had a string of high-profile affairs as well which uh, with women that were known to be part of these circles of the mob. So there was definitely a gangster element to him and it said that the state that won him the presidency, that was a state that was mob 
run, the mob actually won that state for him, so he owed them. Uh, and as we know, if you owe the mob, you you have to pay up. That's how it works. Yeah, if you owe if you owe a mobster a favor, that favor has to be uh, repaid. And I've got personal I, I wouldn't say personal experience, but you know, I grew up in a family, a crime family, where my father was the British equivalent of the mob. Uh, and that is generally how it works, you know, everything's done on a favour, the mobsters do, like, you know, they do favours for everyone, they're very generous people often, they're like Robin Hood figures, however, if you take a favour from someone, they do expect you to pay that favour back, don't they, and I think you've learned this in my family, <laughs> like, I'm, we're talking on a low level here, but that's kind of the mindset of someone in that, who lives that world, is that if you do a favour for someone, you're now their friend, but they expect their friend to do them a favour back at some point. Oh, I I bet that's a currency, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the currency of mobsters. Yeah, and speaking of currency, um, do you know about Executive Order One 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 O? I'm going to mess this one up again, but One 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 O. It's the first coding, isn't it? It is. I think it is coding. Yeah. <laughs> do you know about that Executive Order? No, no. So that executive order was something that Kennedy issued uh, just before his death and it allowed the treasury of the USA to issue silver certificates. Basically, they was able to print Kennedy notes. There was these things called Kennedy notes and these were banknotes that were issued against silver that had been recalled and therefore they circumnavigated the Federal Reserve. You know on the Federal Reserve banknotes, it says at the top Federal Reserve note. Well, Kennedy issued... billion worth of Kennedy notes that said United States note, meaning it was not issued by the private for-profit Federal Reserve Bank who issues money at interest. These were issued by the Treasury with no interest attached. So there's a big conspiracy there because some people say, oh, he was just doing it to help recall the silver dollars that were no longer going to be in circulation. But I can't help but think the Federal Reserve would not have been too happy having notes floating around the economy saying United States no and people because people are going to question that they're going to say wait a minute if we can print our own notes without interest wait a minute (laughs) you know why are we taking money from the Federal Reserve and running up a national debt so I actually err on the side of true conspiracy on this one that Kennedy was actually seeking to circumnavigate the Federal Reserve Bank which of course would put him right in the crosshairs every bank sorry every president in US history Abraham Lincoln um, Garfield all of them who tried to oppose the Federal Reserve wound up and dead so that that was one of the reasons I thought maybe he got assassinated well I, I never heard about it but it's definitely huge and then and just imagine like um if then every single other country copied it because that could be easy money for them isn't it and then people would be asking like why federal or national banks aren't national or federal isn't it and and why why there are two entities in the first place it, it would be very confusing and definitely raising lots of questions so and uh, how many years that is after establishing a federal reserve is it like 50 years down the line, isn't it? About 50 years, yeah. Yeah, so so they had 50 years of consolidation to establish their power, I mean, Federal Reserve in the country. Yeah, so, you, I mean, what, really what we're painting here is the picture that Kennedy was a rock star for sure. He was he was nothing like any past president. I would say that he, he just have a, had a completely different energy and he appealed to the people. And I think there's certainly things to raise eyebrows with Kennedy, uh, I don't know if you know this, but for example, he was known to potential. Well, <laughs> there's rumors and CIA documents saying that he was involved in 
sex parties in Hollywood and maybe some occultism. And I know that he had an affair with a woman called Jane Mansfield. And I've seen photos of her online with Anne and LaVey, who run the Church of Satan. So there's definitely some crossover with the occult there. So I, I don't know if you've heard anything about that or how you feel about that. What do you feel JFK truly was? What's your impression intuitively on him as a person? Because let's face it, he clearly wasn't perfect. But do you think he was fighting the good fight or was he just another character? I, I, w- I would think both because you don't want to say that there is um, someone who's either truly only good or or has only bad in them. We are, we are all a mixed end. We so um, so I I guess him being a part of that family and I guess he he's been Kennedy's been always a part of that lineage. Let's let's call it. They they were surely a part of of whatever it is there in this upper world that we just have a glimpse of. Uh, however, now I'm thinking like uh, it it doesn't necessarily mean that he was as corrupted as those people were. And uh, everyone is an individual, so we we may be raised in certain family, but perhaps there is something in us that drags us into a change, and that could be for better or worse. So you just you just don't know. But I I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't say that uh, you know there is black and white in here. It's, it it could be someone. And I think I see him as such uh, someone with good intentions and, and but having huge drawbacks and, and maybe a character that could be certainly improved. So no heroes. Well, he's a human being, isn't he? And, he? and we're all flawed. You know, that's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, I always like to say the Solzhenitsyn quote, which is the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man, meaning we're all capable we all have the propensity to do great things or terrible things and in our life at times we will do great things and we will also do terrible things in our life and I guess repeatability is what we're looking for we're trying to repeat the things that we want and that defines who we are you know if we do lots of good things over and over then we are a good person but on the other hand there are certain levels of badness true intentional evil that if you commit that I don't think there's any recovery from that but I don't see anything in Kennedy's past that is proven that shows that he was that evil person so I think he was just a typical person I think his intentions were good you know but he probably had all the same vices as every other person and sometimes he probably gave into those vices I mean I can't imagine it was easy growing up in that family can you just imagine the the level of privilege and money and wealth and you know growing up a little rich kid it would be very easy to become an awful human being you know we see this all the time I showed you a video just the other day of this guy outside of a nightclub supposedly the son of one of the richest men in Europe and the bouncer doesn't let him in and he has a meltdown and he says to the bouncer I'm gonna buy this place and I'm gonna fire you and the bouncer's like yeah I don't care buddy and he goes do you know who my father is and the bouncer goes to him no didn't you ask your mother (laughs) So uh, this guy gets even angrier uh, and it turns out he was the son of one of uh, Europe's richest families and that's how these people are. They're full of privilege, they're narcissists, they've got zero empathy and yet Kennedy did not seem to be that. So I think somewhere along his journey he developed a conscious and he became a decent human being which is hard. Look at all the uh, wealthy elites that we see today, you don't see much of that. So I think he did book the trend. I'm, I'm going to err on the side that he was probably... Uh, genuine in his attempt to try and reform the USA. Oh yeah, I would like to think the same. Um, honestly, especially that if you try to run the theatre, 
you wouldn't brought up so many things that were hidden from from the public up to daylight. So, so only that that he tried. Even if if many people would say, oh, his his um, um, actions were futile and didn't bring actual change, it did something which was cracked some beautifully pop- polished narrative and uh, and brought to light uh, many questions, many new ideas or subjects that people could then take on and uh, and verify and research further. So. So certainly he was trying to change something, and I and I believe in that. And but as as you said, like um, everyone has its own maybe dark side. <laughs> well, we are all people, isn't it? Kennedy's speeches, like all speeches, were written by uh, a speechwriter along with Kennedy. They worked on them together, and his speechwriter Ted Sorensen was actually one of his best friends. And when Kennedy died, he 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 said it was one of the most devastating things that ever occurred in his life he said that throughout his life that he never truly recovered from it so they were true uh, partners and you know the press speech is one of the famous ones because it's the one way he talks about secrecy you know he says secrecy is a, is repugnant in a democracy and i'll just read you a few lines from this one now unfortunately this speech is often cut and pasted so they take certain sections of this and add them together so it sounds like he's talking about one specific conspiracy which we would think of as the federal reserve and this cabal who took over the usa whereas what he's actually talking about here in general is about freedom of speech in the cold war so when you put it together in a certain way if you splice it you can make it sound like anything but i still think there are elements of this that are probably talking about that other bigger grander conspiracies so i just want to read you a little bit of this uh, speech to get your take on it and you can tell me who you think he's speaking about They rely on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned. No rumour is printed. No secret is revealed. It conducts the Cold War, in short, with a wartime discipline. No democracy would ever hope to wish or match. Well, to me, it sounds like uh, he's talking about some sort of uh, network of spies or you know, CIA, whatever was there at the time. Certainly a well-oiled organisation of individuals with lots of power and skills. It does sound like he's talking about a secret faction that is controlling the world behind the scenes. You know, he talks about subversion, their mistakes are buried, uh, they silence people. It, it doesn't sound like he's talking about the Russians. You know, that's that's generally what people try and put forward. He's always talking about the Russians here, but the words and the wording is too strong, too strong to be the Russians. Oh, absolutely, and a, and a huge amount of people as well. You, you can you can tell that none of those people are individuals as such. They are they are clocks. Uh, would you say clocks in the machine? Part of it, and and they are all of them are completely disposable. So he is talking about well-run organization, and the organization itself is important, not not the individual individuals building it. So yeah, and I think there's plenty more quotes like that in his career there's plenty more um, indications that he was fully aware of how the system worked 
And I think that is genuinely what he was trying to do. I think he probably bit off more than he could chew. He was taking on too many people. He was perhaps too idealistic. And maybe even though he said those words in that speech, maybe he didn't realize just how big of a task it was what he was doing. And yeah, you know, and, and it was he was very divisive too. You know, although he was loved by the people, by a lot of people in politics. And this came out in a recent episode of mine. I couldn't believe it. I was making an episode for my other show, The Parallel Systems Broadcast. And I'm doing a series on The Great Taking, which listeners of this show will know because I did episode number 30, The Corporation That Runs The World. No, The Corporation That Owns The World, Seed & Co., uh, the DTCC. And I was doing the third episode in a series of that. And it just so happened that the guy, the very first guy to run the DTC, the Depository Trust Corporation, who officially and legally own all of our securities, all of our stocks and bonds, he left the CIA because Kennedy came into power. Did you know that? No, no. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so he found out that Kennedy had been elected and that made him want to leave the CIA because I'm pretty sure he understood that Kennedy was not good for the CIA and therefore he took another role for a CIA front organization that you said, which is a completely, uh, that's a whole other story, which I get into in that episode, so I'm not going to regale it here. But when when Kennedy was killed, he actually did an interview for some people at the SEC asking them, uh, I think it was probably for the Warren Commission, he was asked to do some interviews on it. So it was weird how these lines crossed. And what I found out is that this guy who ran the DTC was died in the wool CIA guy, and clearly he was more of the faction of Lyndon B. Johnson who took over after Pre- President Kennedy was supposedly killed. So clearly there was the, a divide in US politics at the time. There was the people who wanted to expand the deep state and who wanted more secrecy because that guy I just told you about who was the CEO of the DTC, he was asked later in an interview, many years later, should the American people know more about the DTC? And of course, most people have no idea that their property rights have been stolen by this organization and that that now all of their shares that they think they own are actually owned by this company. And he gets what his response was. No, the American people don't need to know. Now, Kennedy was actually seeking something else. He was seeking an expansion of... Uh, freedom. He was seeking, seeking an expansion of, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparency. Transparency. That's exactly the word. Thank you. Whereas a lot of these people in US politics wanted the exact opposite. They were voting against that. They tried to sabotage the Freedom of Information Act. They tried to sabotage the freedom of press. So I think there was a divide at that time. And that's why I think Kennedy's death was just so consequential. It really did kind of take away America's last hope because after that it went downhill fast. It was like decades of war, the Vietnam War, the war in Korea. It just got really messy and then we got took off the Bretton Woods system in 1971. Then we had the DTC formed in 1973. It seemed to go from bad to worse in America after that. Yeah, and he wasn't the only one who disappeared from politics, if you could phrase like that. Was it his brother, brother as well, Robert, that was killed afterwards? So clearly... After Kennedy was gone, they were clearing up, paving the way. Paving the way. <laughs> well, I think you're doing very well for your first podcast, uh, Mon, and I'm enjoying this conversation. But I did want to get your take on, because we're talking about it as though JFK actually did get killed. And the idea in this movie is that perhaps what we saw was more of a magician's trick 
and we get you know I don't know if you ever saw this right I'm going to ask you a question did you ever see that program when you was a child in Poland called the masked magician (laughs) (laughs) did I miss much (laughs) you never saw that one (laughs) okay so there was a famous show and it was a guy and he was a magician who wore this really creepy mask. But what he did was grand magician's tricks, the f- most famous tricks from Las Vegas because it's really big out there. Uh, and he was a master magician and he'd show you the trick. So he'd show you this fantastic trick, but then he would show you how it was done, which actually breaks the magician's code. And in the past, magicians were actually killed for that. <laughs> they were actually killed for showing those tricks because you know, that's a key part of their game. If you expose it, the game's up. And we know that Las Vegas is run by mobsters. So yeah, you don't want to destroy the income stream of those people. But anyway, this was the show, The Masked Magician. He did it for many seasons and people were absolutely addicted to this show. There was like a whole you know, scene around it, people watching it. Well, that's kind of what this film was for me. It was like I'd watched The Magician's Trick over and over and over again throughout the years. And I kind of had the intuitive feeling that I was... Something was not right. Like I was being fooled somewhere and this film was kind of like, yeah, you was and here's how the magician's trick was done. That's how I interpreted it. It did feel like I'd just been exposed to a magician's trick. But then afterwards, I was left with so many questions about, well, well, what does that mean about the participants in this trick? So how does that resonate with you? Well, I I totally agree. And now I'm going to come back and watch the (laughs) magician. You're not going to make me watch that, are you? <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I was, um, I, I would say in that way, I uh, watched this with open mind and I was really surprised what I saw. It's very convincing. At the same time, because I try not to have any heroes, you just take what you see and think what to make of it as, as such. So what I've seen in it and that actually shocked me was, and I believe that's true, that, that Kennedy became sort of an actor in, in a massive movie or theatre that, that just evolves in front of everyone's eyes or in the front of that camera, that only camera that pictured it. And uh, every single piece of evidence convinced me that, yeah, that way of thinking about it makes totally sense. And at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that Kennedy's done in his past and his politics political career is not important or was a lie or it was just a play. I, I don't think that at all. It could be that things are much more complicated than we think and perhaps there was something at, at play that he had the choice to cooperate to some extent and maybe they made a sweet deal, I don't know. But I, I, I was thinking about that. What does it mean then in terms of all his legacy and then what happened to the other Kennedy members as well, because they they were very unlucky as a family. If it wasn't what we thought it was, and I would urge listeners to, to watch this one and then listen to this podcast again, because it'll be like listening to two podcasts. You'll listen to it once and enjoy it, but the second time you'll come back and kind of be in on the insider's knowledge. But I would say if it wasn't what we thought it was, then could it have been some kind of ritual? Because it took place just off the 33rd degree parallel. It also was the site of the first Masonic temple in Dallas. There was a Masonic obelisk at the site. And there is a book all about this called The Killing of the King. King Kill, 
33 actually is what it's called, by Michael J. Hoffman. And he details in that how it was very much a Freemasonic ritual. And he talks about how three tramps were arrested just afterwards. And they represented the three master masons who killed Hiram Abiff. So there's this whole ritualistic aspect. And, you know, when you look into those things, the symbolism, you'll just find... You'll, you'll find so much, I'm sure, of it. Because there's so much occultism that is intrinsically a part of America. So I'm sure there's a lot here. But do you feel when you watch that movie in terms of the one that we have just seen in this film, that it was some kind of ritual? Do you get that impression? Now you're looking at it with this kind of enlightened view of it. Well, I, I clearly don't know what to think about it because to my mind it's a bit sick that someone would orchestrate their death uh, and make it public, um, especially that this, um, this sort of got so much immersed within all our cultures, really. So everyone knows how Kennedy died and everyone probably saw how it happened and it's relived in our minds over and over again. And then at the same time, you know, those interpretations um, is, is highly likely because they live in a completely different universe. We, we walk on the same earth, but we see different colours everywhere. We interpret everything so differently. And um, it's difficult sometimes to, to understand how I look at the world and why I think about it. And, and let alone what other people I never met, how they could comprehend their existence and everything around them, especially if everything's kept in such a secrecy. We just don't know how much spiritual or how obsessed about things they are and how important that is to them and what they are willing to sacrifice in order to achieve their aims, whatever that would be. So I think it's very likely. Well, that's because you, there are two worlds. There's the light and the dark. And if you're in the light, you see things through the interpretation of the light, which is you orientate yourself towards good and doing good and your rituals in your life will be good rituals you know you might say a prayer in the morning you might um you might go outside into nature and appreciate that you might take care of other people but of course if you're coming at it from an occult angle and your intentions are evil then your goal is to manifest that evil and your rituals are going to be very dark and macabre and you know i guess there's a there's a history of this like the 9-11 ritual the covid that was very ritualistic what they did masking people up the dancing nurses you know, there was the 2012 Olympic Games where they did this really macabre opening ceremony that had lots of predictive programming for COVID. So they do do these things. So, yeah, it makes sense to me that that could have been one big ritual that we was exposed to. And the point of those rituals, of course, is also to induce trauma. You know, it's trauma-based mind control, which is definitely what they were excelling at in the 1960s and 70s. That was just before they started to unroll it out on the masses. In fact, I think that could have been the first mass trauma-based mind control event because it just ripped the heart out of America. And then after that, they continued to do that. Remember the Beatles and how they started out as clean-cut boys and then just a few years later, they were drowning themselves in blood and meat in video shoots. You know, this is what they do. They try and subvert everything. But I think that was the trigger. I think after that, it all changed. I, I totally agree. Like, um, th there's so many people are still nowadays talking about it. Like, we we keep talking about it too. So, it's it's a huge trauma imposed on us, um, and and also killing the hope, isn't it? 
because suddenly you've got a hero that's going to tackle all of those problems that we didn't even know existed. And then he gets killed from within, from people who were meant to listen to his orders because he is on the top of a hierarchy and, and suddenly he's not. He's being uh, removed. I think you've hit the nail on the head. That is potentially what it was. I'm not saying it was, but maybe he was set up as the straw man. And it could be it could be complex on many layers that he didn't know. He was allowed to become idealistic. He was allowed to run so far down those paths thinking he was going to succeed. And then they said, actually, no, this is what's going to happen to you. And then he was kind of forced into taking part in that. Maybe they said, if you don't do this, the mob are going to do X, Y, and Z to you. You've got no choice. And so he was a forced participant in that ritual. But ultimately, the outcome of it is what we should really focus on because the outcome gives us the motive. And I think the outcome of it was a mass trauma in America's mind. And it allowed America to then go on to this period of real debasement. There was lots of war. The media got darker. You know, to see someone shot on TV, that etches itself in your mind. The same way September the 11th etched itself in my young mind. And every generation gets given one of these traumas. And I think that opens up a portal almost. In in the, in the actual physical world, it opens up a kind of dark portal. And it does in our internal world too, in our mind, that allows them to then start to seed all kinds of nastiness and that's what we have to protect ourselves against i think i think that's what the bible talks about when it says about wearing the armor of god because this is a spiritual war and that was a key spiritual attack on people and i think it was a successful one the very fact we're still talking about today like you said suggests it was a very successful attack on the on the public consciousness oh absolutely and and there is a strong element as well of um free will because you know if if you are Hard and you agree to something and everything goes according to the plan and the point you can say actually no <laughs> just just one moment of um or two moments of hesitation i'm like no i'm not doing it actually you know i'm not doing it because it is actually him who pulls that trigger isn't it to to make that thing blow off so um so there is a huge element to deciding for oneself what we want to do and what we are not agreeing to do and and we always can change our mind so i i think that's quite optimistic that we have that power and no one can force us like it's it's the same what will happen in 2020 people were thinking they are forced but no one was forced we we always had free will it's just not always the choice was pleasant or the most digestible as such but by the end of the day it's your decision and we are paying the consequences for whatever happens, isn't it? So take take your power back. I agree. You was given free will. There's natural law. Nobody can force you to do anything. You've always got a choice. Right up until the very last breath of your life, you will have a choice because you've always got the final choice to choose how you think about a situation. And ultimately, that is our freedom, is to make choices physically as much as we can, but then also psychologically. And we should never, ever give that up for anyone. Because I think when you give up that, you're giving up your soul because that's what soul is. Animals don't have a choice, we do. That's our soul. And therefore, we should never give that up. Now, before we finish this one, because in part two, we're going to be speaking to the man himself who produced this. And I'm really excited for that. So I'm interested to get his take on some of these questions. And I'm going to ask him this question. So I'm going to ask you it as well. What's your take on RFK Jr.? And, you know, I've got a little bit of insider's knowledge on this one about what you're going to say. We've listened to, I would say, every show he made up until 
maybe the last six months because we've both been very busy uh, recently, so I know you haven't listened to it as much, and neither have I, but prior to that, we listened to every one, and we really enjoyed them, and I held him in very high esteem as a person. I got very good vibes from him. I am quite good at reading people, but things have changed recently. He's now running for president. We've certainly seen another side of him in terms of he came out just recently and was very, very (laughs) pro-war. He was the anti-war candidate and then he said about Israel that we should give them every single resource possible so they can absolutely defend themselves. And, you know, I'm seeing a little difference, a little bit of a different side to him now he's running for presidency. So what's your take on RFK Jr.? Who do you think he really is? Do you think he's truly who he says he is? And do you think that he has a shot of pushing the needle on this one and changing the world so we can get maybe at least some ground back from what we've lost the last few years. Well, I I wouldn't hope (laughs) on that. Whoever lets him go to power, they know what they they are doing. And I think that's the point. Well, I I don't have any heroes, so I take what I will and I leave the rest, if that makes sense. Yeah, I listen to people. I'm looking for good ideas and and I will leave the rest where I'm more skeptical and or something's hard to believe. So certainly he is, he's done a lot of good things in the world and and, uh, and he brings good karma around him. I loved listening to him uh, years back and uh, and I was very impressed with um, all the um, legal fighting he's done against big corpus and, and uh, in terms of um, was he like against the poisoning through Teflon and um, many many other chemicals um, that big, uh, big companies are spreading around us uh, he was even uh, talking about chemtrails as well, so <laughs> that was great. But that doesn't mean that we should uh, drop our guard and, and just uh, listen without any critical thought whatsoever to w- what he says and, and just take it for granted now. And and also I've got a feel that they let him run for presidency so he can lend his authority or maybe not authority. I'm, I'm looking for a word. Uh, Credibility? Yes, yeah credibility to the system because many people start thinking something's not right and uh and and he lends that he sort of lets the big structure to to stay a little bit (laughs) with the frontal he pulls them back in people who might think you know what i'm done with this system i'm going to exit it i don't believe in it i've lost faith 100 and i'll never trust it again after what they just did to us I'm going to go and build my own structures. I'm going to start my own community. I'm going to go off grid. He can pull those people back in because what's his actual message? His message is we need to heal. We need to forgive. America needs to come together, which is like, that's all well and good. But where's the justice in that? You know, where's the actual retribution and justice, the rightful retribution and justice? And I'm not talking about that in a sadistic sense. I'm talking about the fact that there are people out there who have intentionally caused mass harm to our loved ones and those people aren't going to disappear you know so all of this talk of forgiveness and coming together uh, no I think we need justice first and I think we need to route out those people now I don't think we can do that directly but I think what we can do is not give our energy to their parasitic system and I think that's how they they die off if you just don't give your energy to their parasitic system you focus on love you focus on light. I know that's kind of cliche, but I really mean that. You focus on your own family, your own community, going off grid. If you can, taking back control of your food, your water, your energy, getting back to truth, you know, going to nature, which is always true. 
not having those poisons in your mind, in your body, in your heart, then we really get somewhere. Their system can't survive without us. That's the thing, it can't survive without us. They might have power and wealth, but they own everything only through legal constructs. And if we just say, okay, well, we're going to live in our little bit, what we legally own. Suck on that one, <laughs> you know. I think that's how that's how we that's how we win this one. So, so I am a little bit more skeptical of him these days, but I also understand how it works. These politicians have to make deals with the devil just to even get to that level, uh, and I'm sure he's made lots of deals with the devil, and I'm sure he will ongoing. So, I don't expect perfection from any of these people. Uh, it's impossible to find. But what he might do, what he might do, is just push the needle a few centimeters, maybe even a millimeter to the right. And that might just buy us a bit more time. It might just take the edge off some of the next 10 years that enables us to take back more control in our lives and to start these parallel structures. What do you think about that, Mum? I I do agree. But at the same time, I've got that strange sensation that he's been always the environment man, let's call it. And I I feel like the next big sigh-up, at least in Europe, will be about the environment because uh, many laws that are Related to, let's say, the energy passports for properties, about legislation on what you can use or rather what you can't use for uh, heating your house, etc. It all comes into fruition, including electric cars. So he could be potentially, but I don't see how it would play out, but but it's sort of like the same topics are, are sort of like overlapping. So... I'm just uh, gonna watch, lay back, and, and watch and observe what's gonna happen with the, with that in that that regard. And, and there was one more comment as well when it came to the uh, uh, movie itself, like coming back to the film we were talking about. Sometimes I, I wonder, like, why why should we know what really happened in that movie? You know, or any any type of movie? Could it be? What trade center and and all the uh, sort of fabricated pieces of <laughs> history that they are showing us? Why should we give our energy to watch that, to watching that, and think about that in in the first place? Like, okay, if if I now understand a bit more of the puzzle, what does it give me? You know, I'm spending lots of energy and time thinking about it, and and does it really improve my life? Does it improve my situation here and now? And and uh, I just wonder how important that is to be obsessing about it. I think you're on to an important point. I think that is how the spells are woven. It's by us thinking about them a lot. I think that's how the spells are cast. That's real alchemy because the way we put our consciousness is what we then manifest in reality. So if we are, if we are putting our consciousness into fear and anxiety and terror, then that creates the world we've got today. You know, and if we take our mind somewhere else, if we think hopefully, if we think optimistically, if we believe that something better can be built, well, then things start to get better in our lives. You know, I've never met anyone who's made their lives better by waking up and saying it's pointless. Like, it doesn't work like that. But if you truly believe you can change your life for the better, I can guarantee you, you'll have a better day for thinking that. And then things will be drawn into your life that improve it. You'll meet people that are more hopeful and optimistic too. You know, you don't meet meet hopeful and optimistic people when you're depressed and down. So we do have to curate our mind and take care of our consciousness. And I think for people like myself, and I'm not so sure about you, Moni, because I know sometimes these things uh, do affect you more. But for me, I'm quite resilient. So it doesn't actually affect me to think about these things. So I would say to people, it's important to understand how the trick works. But then it's important to actually move beyond it. Don't dwell on it. Don't keep repeating it and recycling it because... 
I've said it many times and I'll say it one more time. These people that just share images and tweets of darkness telling us all what they're going to do to us, how they're going to do it. Oh my God, it's terrifying. Uh, They're not helping us. They're not helping us at all. Share positive messages. What I try to do on this show is to help people understand. Like You have to understand what's going on. But then we have to think about something brighter, a better future. And if we don't think about it, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, what what always helps me is to think, why do I need to know this? Why why should I do that? And quite often it is for, for novelty reason, curiosity, all those things that are perhaps fun, but are, you know, distracting in life and, and certainly not building much. So so then if you come to that conclusion, it's it's good to think, pose and, and actually stop doing whatever you were doing and and for example facebook many people would say that it's brainwashing us and it gives us lots of silly ideas or they are using social media to manipulate us and uh, and create a new society etc etc but if every single one of us or let's say 10 20 50 percent of people would decide wait a moment i need i don't need any of those tools and i'm just closing my account all of them all together you know <laughs> don't feed the beast exactly exactly you, you know you may feel like oh I, now i don't know what a friend of mine actually is not a friend because we haven't spoken for 20 years but once we met and and now i can see their post now and then and see what new car they've got or whatever i don't know whether they've got a new iphone or not <laughs> but but essentially then you don't feed the beast and and that addiction to it or maybe even not addiction but curiosity or boredom for easy destruction, whatever that is, it, it disappears and, and you have to do something more constructive and you don't support them. Well, that's two parts of it. It's not, first and foremost, don't feed the, these vampires. That's what they are, the spiritual vampires. Without our energy, these parasites wither away. I truly believe that. It's just unfortunate that they have sunk their fangs into most people and they get the fear and terror that they need to continue their system. But they're terrified. They're terrified of losing us. They're terrified of you stepping outside the system. That's why they have to give us radical candidates. That's why Trump comes along. That's why RFK Jr. is allowed to flourish. And like I said, I was and still am a fan of RFK Jr. I just do not believe there is a political solution. I think there's a spiritual solution. That's always been my take and it always will be. Uh, And the other part of it, Mom, which you just rightly pointed out and we'll end on this one, is it's a two-way street as well. You know, you can't look at these people living parasitically and sit there and judge them if you yourself are not doing something better. You have to be providing solutions. You have to be contributing to something better. Uh, A lot of people who joined my podcast, uh, I know they're doing that because they message me. They tell me. That's why they subscribe to something like this. They become members. But it does require you to pull yourself away from looking into the darkness. And the darkness is Twitter. The darkness is Facebook. The darkness is social media. You have to pull yourself out of that. And use that time constructively, even if it's just going outside and splitting some wood, which, you know, I think I'm going to do tomorrow. I've got a lot out there. So, Mon, thank you so much for joining us for that conversation. You were very gracious because this interview had some issues. Basically, we lost about an hour and 20 minutes. So we only had 50 minutes to do the interview. So I had to put together a separate one. And you know what? I'm glad I did because I think this was a fantastic part one. It's really going to build people up for part two. So thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, thank you. That was a pleasure. What you are basically. 
deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Peace in our time. Peace in all time. 